0: So last week we discovered together as we started this series that worship is all about a response. Like Sometimes we think worship is about just doing what God wants us to do. You know, We're supposed to worship. We're supposed to sing to Him. It says in the Bible we should. People did it in the Bible. But no, we really discovered last week that worship is not just something God's trying to coerce out of us. It's something that we do with everything in life that we enjoy. If you like food, baseball, if you like art, all these different things, you praise them to a degree when you're satisfied in them. When you see that they're excellent, when you see something great happen, the natural response out of every single one of us, is praise we love to do it and so why not carry that over into the greatest thing there is and we talked about the fact that Worship is really a response to God's greatness, you know? So, as we come together and we sing songs and we do what we just did for the last 15 minutes, we're not doing this just out of religion or routine. It's really us just saying, man, God is so great. I'm going to just respond in praise. And so, if you missed that message last week, I'd encourage you to check it out because there is some foundational kind of stuff in there, especially if you're newer to the church. We'd love for you to check that out. And now tonight I kind of want to take it a little bit of a further step because the thing that we can never be okay with is coming together and singing to God about how much we love Him and then going out and living like we don't, okay? We can't ever be okay with that. We can't ever come in here and say, all right, I did my thing, I sang my songs, I think God's happy with me, so now I can just go live how I want. We have to be so careful because the truth is that's not the response that God is looking for. Recently, we were eating dinner at my in-laws' house, and we kind of had that whole setup going where you have like the adults in the one room and the kids are in the other room doing that deal. And so as we're eating, I heard my youngest son, Landon, just start coughing. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I don't think he's choking, but I kind of want to know, make sure he's not. And so I said to Kate, who was in the other room, I said, "Kate, can you just check on Landon and make sure he's okay? And so he said, hey, Landon, you okay? And that was just kind of that, and I thought, well, okay, is there any more follow-up? And I I said, Cade, um, did you check on Landon? And he said, "Uh, yeah, I asked if he was choking or not, but he didn't respond. (laughs) I said, Cade, I just want to tell you something. When I'm looking to find out if somebody's choking, okay, the response I want to hear back is not, I asked, but he didn't say anything, right? That, that's not a great checkup. That's not a great response. But you know what? I think we can kind of be like Cade. We can kind of think, hey, I did my job, Dad, you know? I came in. I gave you what you wanted. I, I, I raised my hands. I worshiped. I sang. But you know what? The truth is, then, if it's not backed up with more than that, if we're not following through with how we live, then that's not the response that God is looking for. There's something so much bigger than that. And so here's what I want to say. When we talk today, I'm not trying to take away anything from what we discussed last week. As we talked about the importance of worshiping together. And it was awesome. You guys were incredible last week. And if you weren't here, you missed it. What we did is, we started the service with just one song, and then I came up and spoke, and then we like did this massive worship set at the end. And it was awesome. And I'll tell you what, you guys really responded well to what we talked about, the power of responding, the need you and I have to respond to God as being great. And so that's important. I'm not going to negate that today. I'm going to add to it. I'm going to say that God wants to hear praise from our lips, but he also wants to see a life of worship. And that's what I really want to challenge you guys with today, because some of us are great at responding with our lips, but not with our lives, And so we really need to begin to say, okay, what's that about? What's going on in my heart if that's what's happening? Because the truth is, sometimes we come in and we sing about how great God is and we sing about how he satisfies and he's the only thing we're living for and then we go outside these walls and it's like porn is great and, and anger is what we're living for and, you know, greed and stuff satisfies. You know what I mean? Like we're in here saying and singing one thing and then we go out and we're living in a completely different way. You know, like, you know that saying talk is cheap? Well, Sometimes I wonder if singing is cheap too, you know? Like I think our actions win out in that scenario, you know, like just give you a couple examples, right, if someone came up to me and said, Doug, I just think you're such a great speaker, oh man, every time you speak, I just, God does so much in my heart, I just love your messages, and then I find out recently they deleted all the messages they had of mine, and they unsubscribed from my podcast, like what wins and wins out in that scenario, it's their action, not their talk, actually my fist would probably win out in that scenario, but no, but ultimately the way they live is way more important than what they just simply say. Let's say somebody came up to Andrew and said, Andrew, you are just my favorite singer, man. When you sing, it's like hearing the voice of an angel, a very hyper angel, a very very active angel. Um, And and then later that week, he's walking past that person's car and he sees his CD, it's just in the back of the trunk, kind of scratched and cracked. Then, man, action's one out, right? What if somebody came up to you, your boss maybe, and said, I'll tell you what, we are so thrilled with your work. You are doing an incredible job and we can't wait to promote you. And then the promotion comes out, and it wasn't you that got, it it was somebody else. A teacher who says, hey, you know what, we're so excited, we're going to be giving you this scholarship because you just did such an excellent job, and then somebody else gets it. What wins out, right? Talk can be cheap, and I think in our context, singing can be cheap when it's done from a heart that's not living it when we walk outside these walls. So please, I'm not taking away anything from what we talked about last week, I'm just adding to it. That God desires for us to come together and praise him with our lips. Yes, and and when we do that, like we saw last week, God's presence is moving in a unique way. We're encouraging each other in our faith. I mean, amazing things are happening. But we want to add to that the genuineness of our lives as we leave this place, as we walk out of here. I want to really drive home a thought tonight, and that's this. That worshiping God with our lives is still all about responding to God. Like, I hope, I hope you aren't hearing me say that when we worship God together in this place, we're responding to his greatness. But then when we go out of here, we just kind of got to do the right thing because that's what we're supposed to do. No, see, when you and I respond with our lifestyle, when we say, you know what? Porn's not greater, God's greater. You know what? Anger's not greater. I'm gonna surrender that to God. I'm gonna live for God. You know what? I'm gonna surrender all these different areas of my life to God. It's not just because we should. It's us continuing to respond to how great God is. God, you are so great. I'm not just gonna say it with my lips. I'm gonna show you with my life how amazing you are. And so worship, even in our lifestyle, is still all about a response. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. We love that you're in the room here tonight. You're always welcome. And here's what we want you to know, a couple things tonight. First off, I think you might like this message tonight because here we are, a bunch of Christians talking about how sometimes we're ingenuine, right? Sometimes we as Christians don't get it right, and and I think you need to hear that, that we know that's a problem, and we, we are really working on being the real thing, not saying one thing or singing one thing in here, and then going out and living a different thing. We're really saying, all right, God, we want to be the real thing and the genuine thing, but what everybody in the room has to hear tonight is that even though we may be genuine and growing in our relationship with God, right, there's still going to be the times we stumble. And I think you know some of you can hear a message like this and start to get down on yourself and feel really frustrated and like, man, I'm just a mess. Maybe I should just stop singing then. If my life doesn't look like this outside these walls, maybe I should just give up on worship or, or even just on church or God altogether because I just, I mess up. Well, there's hope for you in the message tonight. I want you to see at the very end of our message here, at the end of our verses, something so powerful that we are going to discover here about that struggle of failing and falling and yet wanting to be genuine and wanting to be the real thing. And so, If you're not a follower of Jesus, I think one more thing you're going to see here tonight is why we want to live our lives for God. Like maybe you thought that the reason we sing songs and we try to live our lives a certain way is to get God's acceptance. And I hope tonight you'll see that's not at all it. And so we're going to look at some verses in Isaiah chapter 29. And Isaiah wrote these verses 750 years before Jesus came, and it's so funny. I mean, that's thousands of years ago, and yet he's writing about the same problem that we're talking about here tonight. You know what that tells me? That the people, to, you know, 25, I'm not doing the math now, you know, all those years ago, um, they had the same struggle we have here today. And there's an answer. There's, there's a response. God speaks to the heart of this issue. He says, look, I'm grateful that you love me, and that you're responding with worship when you're together, but man, I want to see the lifestyle behind it, okay? And so Isaiah 29, there's, just so you know, as we look at this, there's a lot in here, and I'm going to try and do my best to explain it. There's going to be times I explain stuff that you might think is off topic. I promise it's not. It's just, there's some stuff in here that if I don't explain it, you're going to be walking out of here with a very distorted view of God, okay? So Isaiah 29, verse 1. I have to explain this verse right off the bat. It says, Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled. So Isaiah was a fan of the Little Mermaid here, obviously. Uh, No, see, here's what's going on. Ariel was a different name for Jerusalem. And the reason we know that is because that's where David settled. David settled in the city of Jerusalem. That's where the public worship happened. That's where they brought their offerings and their sacrifices and all that. So... So Isaiah here, did I say David? Yeah, no, no, that's right, I'm on. I'm sorry, I was flipping back and forth with David, Isaiah. I might do that a few times because I'm normally talking either David or Paul, but tonight it's Isaiah. So Isaiah here saying, okay, um, where David settled, this place, Ariel, otherwise known as Jerusalem, there's some things going on. You know, like the, the street out in front of our church is called 347 Nisconset Highway and Smithtown Bypass, but we all know that's that street, right? And so here in this message, Jerusalem is called Ariel, and it's also called Jacob, the people of Jacob. So anytime you see Ariel, Jerusalem, or the people of Jacob, we're talking about Jerusalem. So don't get, the, don't get confused by that. So he says, woe to you, Jerusalem. And then he says this, add year to year and let your cycle of festivals go on. Now what's going on here is God is being super sarcastic. Super sarcastic. He's going, okay, everybody, yep, add another year, sing another song have another festival, have another feast, make more sacrifices, make more offerings. I know what's really going on. You know, I I see, you know, all your people coming together and bowing down, and I see all the stuff you're doing, all the things you're going through, all the motions. But I really know what's going on in your hearts. And then he goes on, and I'll I'll just be honest with you, God sounds a little scary in the next few verses. I'm going to explain why, all right, so you don't walk out of here with the wrong impression of him. But in verse 2, he says this, "...yet I will besiege Ariel," which again means Jerusalem, "...she will mourn and lament, she'll be to me like an altar hearth. I will encamp against you all around, I will encircle you with towers, and set up my siege works against you. Brought low, you will speak from the ground, your speech will mumble out of the dust, your voice will come ghost-like from the earth, out of the dust your speech will whisper." And you can see the loving heart of God in that, right? The heart of a father, right? Like, what's going on here? Why does he sound so scary? Well, I'll tell you why he sounds so scary. I'll give you maybe a little illustration here. Um, about once a week, some form of glass breaks in my house because I have three little children, Right? And it's just life. Uh, the, the, like, I think it was either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or around there. We were opening gifts at my dad's house. And an ornament fell and somehow didn't break. But then when my children touched it, it did break. I don't even know how that happens. Like, falls, doesn't break. Then Bryn picks it up. Landon goes to reach for it. And they break it between their hands. And Brynn now has glass sticking out of her hand. i got to actually sit down when I talk about this. Um, (laughs) The knees get weak. Um, And so we got the glass out of there. The whole deal, everything was okay. Um, Another example, recently we have this table in our kitchen and there was this big kitchen glass top thingy on top that covered the whole wood table and it broke in one little portion. And so I I was like, I gotta get rid of this before it you know breaks into a thousand pieces. So I hear the garbage man coming and I'm like, sweet, I'm gonna pick it up in one piece. I'm gonna walk it right outside. And so I went over and I picked it up and the piece of glass laughed at me and went, Fooled you and then it just broke. It just shattered and there was glass everywhere. There's shards on the floor, the whole deal, right? And so I, I ran out what I could. Now listen When I came back inside, you ready? Use your imagination for a second. Thankfully, this wasn't happening. But if my kids were eating the shards of glass, I would do anything I had to, discipline, punishment, whatever I had to, to make sure they stopped eating the glass. Why? Because I like to discipline my kids? No, because I love my kids, and eating glass will kill them, okay? And what God sees going on here is his people eating glass. How so? Well, they would come together and they would worship God with words, with their lips. But then they would go live lives that led to death. They would go do things that were leading them down roads that were killing them, that were taking them far away from their Savior. And a good dad like God here is saying, Okay, if it takes for me to bring nations against you so that you'll return to me and you'll stop eating glass, so to speak and you'll stop going down roads that are destroying you, then that's what I'll do because I love you. Because I know the best thing for you to do is not come and just sing words and then go live a life that's breaking you apart. No, no, no. Come and sing those words out of a heart that loves me and then live a life that responds to me in love. And that's the best thing for you. It's the most satisfying thing for you. It's the safest thing for you. And in the very next verse, we see the mercy of God already. So he says, okay, I'm going to bring some nations against you. But then look what he says in verse 5. But your many enemies will become like fine dust, the ruthless hordes like blown chaff. Suddenly, in an instant, the Lord Almighty will come with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with windstorm and tempest and flames of a devouring fire then the hordes of all the nations that fight against Ariel or Jerusalem that attack her and her fortress and besiege her will be as it is with a dream, with a vision in the night. You know how you and I have these dreams, like the strangest things in the whole world, right? And like we're sleeping and everything seems so real, real rather. and you wake up and then it's just gone, like it just vanished. Isaiah is saying here, you know what's going to happen? You guys are going to wake up one day And my presence will have driven away all these nations. It'll be like you woke up from a bad dream. And suddenly, my discipline will be over. He goes on, he says, As when a hungry man dreams, like I told you last week with Landon with the muffins, uh, that he's eating, but he awakens and his hunger remains. As when a thirsty man dreams that he's drinking, but he awakens faint." with his thirst unquenched, so it will be with the hordes of all the nations that fight against Mount Zion. Mount Zion, another name for Jerusalem, okay? So here's what God is saying. I'm going to bring some people against you because you're, you're far from me. You're not worshiping me worshiping me out of a heart of love. You're worshiping me just with your lips, but watch what I will do. Watch me drive those nations away lovingly and care for you when you return to me. Then he says in verse 13, after talking a little bit more about the people kind of being spiritually blind, he says, really this is the heart of the issue. He says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And there we have it. That is the issue that we're talking about here tonight. Do we honor God with our lips, but not with our lives? Do we sing songs of worship and then go out, and we're kind of okay with living lives that deny what we're just saying. And again, I'm not talking about struggling, right? Sometimes we struggle with sin. Sometimes we do things we don't want to do and we're broken and we go to God and we say, God, change me, forgive me, I love you, I don't want to act that way. But I guess my question more tonight is, are there certain areas of our lives where we're okay with the sin? Where we're kind of okay with coming in and saying one thing and then going out and doing another because here we're seeing man God that's not kind of response he's looking for and you know what's funny is here we are 750 years before Jesus well in Jesus day he would come and you know what he did he quoted these verses to his people of his own day 750 years later he's walking around going hey you know what Isaiah said Isaiah said that sometimes there's people who come and they worship me with their lips but then they live really far from me with their lives And he says this, their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. Know what he's saying here? He's saying, hey, look, sometimes we come in and we're just, we're just honestly, we're singing because it's just what we do. It's like religion. It's just routine. Like now's the singing time. That's kind of one of the reasons we changed things up last week. So that we'd come in and it would just be different. It would be, okay, let's not just sing out of routine, do three songs and then two songs. No, we said, hey, let's change it up here. Let's get kind of out of our routine. And so he's saying, all right, let's not just make it about religion. Let's not make it about routine. Let's make it different. And then he says in verse 14, Therefore, once more I'll astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. So God's still talking about uh, part of your discipline is going to be, you know, I'm going to remove some of the intelligence, some of your wisdom. And then he says this, look at this. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness. Listen to this, this is so powerful. And they think, who sees us? Who will know? You see, here's what was going on. Israel was hiding a political plan that they had going on kind of behind the scenes from God. They thought they were going to get into, into cahoots with some people that God didn't want them, you know, kind of being lined up with. And so they thought they were kind of hiding this from God and, like, they were fooling God. And God's here going, hey, guys, I, I know you think right now I can't see you or that I don't know what's up, but I know what's going on. And I think that's some of us sometimes. Like, we come in here and we sing songs of love to God. And I, guys, I gotta be honest, I think some of us even genuinely really mean it. And there's a heart in us that's like, yeah, God, I, I see you gave your life for me. You've changed my life in some ways. And, and yet, I think sometimes then we go out and we think, okay, God, God's not seeing me here. This, this little area of my life is kind of in the dark. God can't see. I told you guys this story uh, a while ago, but I left a certain part out of it. And so I kind of want to share that part with you tonight. Um, when my sister was 17 years old, she got asked to go to the prom with a guy she didn't want to go to, go to it with. And so um, Jim Besher, right here, and my, my best friend Seth, and I, we decided, you know what? Jeanette doesn't want to go with this guy. We don't know this guy too well. She was too nice to say no. We don't want him to try any funny business on the end of this date here. And so like any good big brother, um, I got my friends together, and we got a couple of high-powered spotlights and a fog machine and a microphone and an amp. And we found out that they were headed home. And so Jim hit the the fog button, and we fogged out my entire neighborhood, 11, 12 o'clock at night on this Friday night after the prom. And so we got up on my roof, right? And we are thinking, dude, this is going to be so legit. They're going to think it's like the police, like the SWAT's on this, the FBI's coming at them or something, you know? And so they pull into the driveway, and there was another couple in the car that had been driving them. And so the guy gets out of the back seat, and he lets my sister out. And he's kind of a little close at this point, you know what I'm saying? And so I said, all right, let's hit this, you know? And so Jim and my buddy Seth, they hit the spotlights. And, I mean, they're just like, you know, it hit them in the night. And then I I got on the microphone over the amp, and I said, step away from the girl. Step away from the girl, right? And so they're kind of looking at us like, what's going on, you know? And so we thought this was so legit. we, we We were hoping they were expecting to see, like, a helicopter coming over next or, like, we were hoping they had no idea what happens. And then, guess what happens? The guy who drove the car sticks his head out. And he goes like this. We can see you. And I was like, what? And I mean, we're like on the roof. Like, you know what I mean? Like trying not to move. Like completely frozen. Thinking we're so good. I mean, we got cover of night. We got fog. No one's seeing us, right? We can see you. And I mean, we're just all up there like idiots. Like, okay, I guess it's over. And we just got off the roof. Like, what do you do then, you know? We did prevent the kiss, which is a good thing, you know? But... Guys, I got to think that we are kind of like that scenario. I think some of us think, hey, man, I'm under cover of night. I got fog all around me. I'm good. My porn's hidden. My sexual impurity's hidden. My anger's hidden. My gossip's hidden. My lying's hidden. My pride's hidden. I'm good. You know what I think God's saying tonight to so many of us? I can see you. <laughs> I can see you. I love you, and I love that you love to come to church and sing, but I see that too. I tell you what, you're eating broken glass, and I don't want that for my children. I want you to live a free life, a real life in me. And then verse 16, he says this, you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. So what does form say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? And this is really powerful because you and I in that illustration, we are the clay and God's the potter. God's the one that made us and formed us. And what Isaiah is trying to help the people understand is you guys think you know so much and you think that you're good and your way of life right now is going to work for you, but it's not. You're trying to tell the creator how things should be done. You're turning things upside down. I mean, it'd be like you or I here in our tremendous snowfall that we got today, going out to start our snowblower and realizing that we're out of gasoline and going, how am I going to make this thing work? And reading through the manual and it's saying, you know, only put unleaded regular gasoline in and, and just going, what do they know? What, like they made this or something, you know? And just going into the kitchen and grabbing like some maple syrup or something and jugging it in there, right? And, and trying to make it run on that. That's what we so often do. We're trying to tell God, you don't know what you're talking about. Why would you tell me, I don't, you know, my porn addiction or my anger or my gossip or my fear is bad for me? Who are you? Even if you, even if you could see me, God, even if I wasn't hidden by the night and the fog, God, who, who are you to tell me? No, I'm the one who created you. I know what you are made to run on, God's saying. And I see you, and I love you, and I see through the fog and the, the cover of night, and I just want you to walk with me for real. And then we get to some good news. I know it's been a little tough on you guys here, but... but Man, if you're struggling tonight, this verse is huge for you. If you're going, I want to be the real thing, I know I struggle. If tonight, maybe you walked in and you're like, I don't even care about being the real thing. But since we've been talking here tonight, there's something you go, no, I do. I want to be the genuine thing. I love this next verse because it references something so powerful. Uh, We're going to skip a few verses down to verse 22. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the house of Jacob. Now, why is that verse important? Because Isaiah included these three words, who redeemed Abraham. We're talking about the God who redeemed Abraham. You know what that means? That means that God reaches out to people who eat glass. It means that God reaches out to people who are broken, who are sometimes ingenuous. Did you know that Abraham got this great promise from God and and he took things into his own hand. He kind of was like that, that clay that said to the potter, you don't know what you're doing. And, and so he slept with somebody that wasn't his wife. Do you know that he lied on multiple occasions to save his own tail? Do you know that this was Abraham? And here's God, who said some tough things to the people, right? But it's out of love And here Isaiah says, all right, I just want to remind you that the God we're talking about is the one who reached Abraham. You know, like the liar, the one who slept with someone that wasn't his his wife, and the one who really over and over again tried to take things into his own hands. Well, guess what? The God that redeems him is the God that wants to redeem you. The God that reached into those circumstances and helped this ingenuine guy wants to be the same God, Jerusalem, that reaches into your city and helps you be the real, genuine thing. And then this is our key verse. Look what it says here. This is so awesome. No longer will Jacob, remember Jacob means Jerusalem, okay? No longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. Verse 23 is so big. When they see among them their children the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. This verse is so huge. Just verse 23. You see that word see right there? When they see... The work of my hands, they'll keep my name holy. When they see, they'll keep my name holy. What is this all about? Well, this is about us seeing God and then responding, right? What is worship all about? It's about seeing God, the work of his hand, what he's done for you and I to redeem us and rescue us, and then us responding. You know what it means to keep God's name holy? It means to live for him. It means to honor him with our lives. It means to say, okay, God, because I've seen you at work, I'm going to give you my porn struggle. I'm going to give you my sexual impurity. I'm going to give you this habit, that habit. I'm going to give you those things that have plagued me my whole life, and I want to now live a life that's genuine and real for you. When they see the work of my hands, they'll keep my name holy. Guys, that's what it's all about, responding to God in worship with our lifestyle. When we see Jesus and what he's done for us, then we keep his name holy. We respond, not just with our lips, but with our lives. Then he reinforces it with one last little part here. He says, they will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. He said, okay, so here's what's gonna happen, guys. It's gonna be some discipline, but then I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna push everybody away that's messing with you. But you know who he's really talking about here? Because he referenced in that last verse, you know, my children will see the work of those hands. And you know what he was talking about? He was talking about Jesus coming one day. He was saying, you know what? A savior is going to show up. Someone's going to come take all of your place on a cross and rescue you back and redeem you like he wants to redeem Abraham. And he wants to redeem every one of you. And when you see that, you will be in awe. And when you are in awe of God, you keep his name holy. When you see all that he is, you live a life of worship. It's a response. You see, and then you live differently. Completely a response for you and I and our Savior. I love the power of this concept. I love that you and I have a choice to simply look at our Savior for all that he is and then say, okay, because of that, God, now have my heart. Let me live my life For you. Yeah, I want to sing to you passionately, but I want to live for you passionately. And so, what I think we see in these verses here is that true worship is a response from our lips and our lives. It's both. True worship, it's not just our lips, it's not just when we come together and sing. I mean, that's a big part of it, and that honors God. His presence comes in a powerful way. We encourage each other in our faith. All these things are true. True worship is a response from our lips, but it's so much more than that. It's a response also from our lives. And so will you be inspired, yes, to keep worshiping God and keep honoring him here as we're here together in this place, but let it affect your life in such a powerful way. A man named Ernest Gordon was in a prisoner of war camp in World War II. And what they would make the prisoner of war... uh, The people that were there in the POW camp do is they would make them build a railroad through the jungle and so they would give them all the tools they needed all the shovels and all the stuff they'd need and at the end of the day when they would come back to the camp they would collect all the tools again because they didn't want prisoners keeping them to use as a weapon or try to escape and the people the officers that were over these guys were completely terrible to them they would beat them they would abuse them they would misuse them they deny them food and sleep and they were just terrible to them. And so one day they got back from working on the railroad and the, one of the officers said, um, all right, we're missing a shovel. We're missing one of the shovels that you guys were given and if we don't have it back, we're gonna kill you all. That all the prisoners lined up and so he, he literally said, we're gonna take a life you know, every, every minute or whatever it would be that you guys don't come forward, another person dies. And so before he began just killing people recklessly without knowing who was who or who did what, a guy came forward. And Ernest Gordon watched one of, his, one of his co-prisoners there walk up. And though he didn't have the shovel, he said, I'm the one that took the shovel. And the interesting thing about this whole prison setup was that all these prisoners were miserable. They were terrible to each other. But, but here was this guy, and everybody's kind of looking at him like, if he has the shovel, why isn't he giving the guy the shovel? And, and so the, the officer in charge became furious, became enraged, and he took another shovel, and he beat the man that came forward to death. And Ernest Gordon and all the other POWs are standing there watching this. Couldn't believe it. As soon as the officer was finished beating the men, another officer came out and said, there was a miscount. There weren't any shovels missing at all. Prisoners of war began to look around and go, he just gave his life for us. He was completely innocent. But he knew that if he didn't come forward, that we'd all die. These guys were completely transformed by what happened. The guys who used to treat each other terribly inside the prison became like brothers. And when the allied forces finally came in to set everybody free, as the, the officers that had been these men's prison guards for all these years that had beaten them, that had abused them, that had mistreated them in all these ways, as they were now standing before them, you know what Ernest Gordon and his friends did? They forgave them. They said, en- enough beating, enough killing. It's time for forgiveness. What happened here? An innocent man giving his life transformed the way his friends lived. And that's exactly what should happen for you and I. An innocent man gave his life to redeem us. And that should transform not just the way we speak or we sing or what we do inside here in these walls, but it should transform the way we live our everyday lives. The response to what that soldier did changed those men. The response to what our Savior has done should change our lives. So let me ask you some questions here tonight. What area of your life are you not responding to God in worship with? Is there an area of your life where you you just say, if I'm being honest, I have it in a dark corner and I think the fog is keeping God from seeing it? Or if he could see it, I just think, I got this. I think, you know, I'm happy to turn, you know, the, the clay and the potter back around and say to him, what do you know anyway? Is there any area of your life you're holding back from him? Because his heart for you is true worship. Do you come in here and sing songs you don't mean? Do you leave here and deny everything that you're saying about Jesus? That's what you to know, just God has such a better way for you. God has so much more for you. God's heart for you is to live a life of true worship, and that's both with our lips and with our lives. Let me just say really clearly, the right response here, if you're struggling with this tonight, is not to say, well, you know what, I'm going to stop singing then, or I'll stop coming then because my life's a mess. No, remember the God who redeemed Abraham. Remember the God who said, okay, this guy's He's eaten a lot of glass. He's done a lot of wrong things. I am gonna reach out to him. That's the right response, is to look to him and to allow him to begin to change you little bit by little bit if that's what it has to be. A process in each one of our lives where we fall short, but men, we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep on desiring to be this genuine thing and we, we allow him to do this deep work in our life. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, what area of your life do you need to kind of bring out of that darkness and bring out of the fog and say, God, would you be honored in this aspect of my life? God, I'm tonight I'm giving you my pride. I'm giving you my anger. I'm giving you the issues with my sexuality or my porn or my whatever it might be. God, this is my, my little corner here that I mean, I'm just not worshiping you with. And God, would you take it and would you help me be genuine? Would you help me be the real thing? because that's what God wants to do. And I'll tell you what, I believe with all my heart that the more we worship together in this room and the more we worship as individuals outside the room, the more we'll see God do. And so when you and I decide, you know, I'm gonna surrender this area of my life to God, we're making a decision that's gonna impact our island. It's gonna go beyond us, it's gonna go beyond our lives and even our church. When you and I surrender areas of our life to God and say, I wanna worship you with my life, God, He's gonna show up in new ways in your life and in mine and in our church and do some phenomenal things. And so will you worship God? Yeah, with your lips, but with your lives as well. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight you've seen our desire to be genuine and be the real thing, but I hope you've seen why we wanna live our lives for God. It's because of what he's done. It's this response. It's not that I wanna earn his favor. It's that, no, he freely gave his life on the cross for me and now I want to respond to him in love and so true worship is a response from our lips and our lives let's pray God we thank you for your heart for us to be free God that you want us to not be walking around chewing on glass that's going to kill us that you have so much more than that for us Lord Thank you that your heart for us, God, is to, yes, enjoy worship here in this place and and to love to sing together and and all that, but but so much more, God, that you would help us with our lives as well. And I thank you that you're this loving God that sometimes lovingly disciplines and sometimes lovingly says hard things, but, God, you are the redeemer. You're the one who reaches us when we're at our worst, and you're the one then, as we surrender these areas of our life to you, that you transform us and you do the heavy lifting in our lives to make us more like you. If you're a Christian, I want you to just now surrender those areas of your life that you've kind of had in the dark and you've thought they're kind of covered up by that fog, and would you just surrender it to God? Would you ask him to do in that area of your life what only he can do, that you'd just be the real thing, that you'd be genuine in your relationship with him and that you'd worship him by responding to his greatness with your life? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to put your trust in him. If that's what you want to do, you could just pray something like this. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Thank you that you are a redeemer. Thank you that throughout history, what you've done is reached out to broken people. And so God, today, would you accept me? Would you forgive me? And would you make me your own? Thank you for this gift of salvation and your amazing love. In your name I pray, amen.